Hey, welcome to In The Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost, and well, here we are, here we are, another podcast episode of In The Shift, and uh, look, if you haven't been listening along lately, uh, we're doing a very particular thing at the moment, and uh, and that's to deal with the topic of megachurches, uh, and I want to say a little bit about that just in the intro, um, but... But really that comes out of a response to um, some of the stories, some of the concerns, some of the, the painful experiences and some of the, the issues of abuse and harassment that have come to light in recent times in our part of the world in particular, in New Zealand and Australia. And, uh, and yet as we talk about these in these kind of specific examples at times, we're talking about things that relate to church culture and in particular to megachurch culture uh, in, in wider contexts than just the ones here. And so uh, I'm hopeful and we're hopeful that that these conversations are helpful to you uh, in all sorts of places and spaces around the world uh, dealing with the same kinds of things because uh, there is a a mirroring of this kind of stuff in many different church organizations and institutions. Uh, So I'm joined by my good friend at the moment, Shane Meyer-Holt. We've talked for the last two conversations about this and so if you haven't listened to those, you might find that a helpful thing to do so. Uh, to get a bit of context of us and our story. And we've both got experience in these kinds of churches in the past. Uh, we both emerged out from them many years ago or uh, more than a decade ago and have been talking a lot about it since. And so we thought we'd bring that conversation into the into the podcast world, I suppose, at this time as many people are wrestling with how to process either what they're hearing and seeing or what they've experienced for themselves. Uh, so you can reach out to us and share a story or an experience or things you maybe you think you should, we should talk about or to ask a question, whatever it is you want to say, you can do that via email, feedback at intheshift.com. You can also do so through Instagram and through Facebook. Um, so in the shift is on there. And Instagram in particular, I think there is sometimes some, some meaningful kind of conversations people are able to have in that space. Um, I'm not a particular social media um, guru or expert, so I do what I can. Uh, but if you find that helpful, then then check it out. A couple of other things, I guess, just to say uh, before we dive into this conversation with Shane as we continue to talk about uh, some of the challenges in megachurch culture. Um, one is to say that uh, people's experiences, even as we hear the stories, whether that's in articles that are written by someone like a David Farrier or or other um, stories that are that are being published or that are being sent into us, these experiences and stories have such a wide range to them and some of them are just you know so ridiculous and absurd that you kind of can't help but laugh or sometimes the laughter is the way of dealing with the pain of it Um, but sometimes the stories are also incredibly tragic or abusive um, and and wherever they sit along that spectrum actually they're all kind of connected to each other because they all really come from the same underlying structure set of beliefs uh, and and systematic problems that lie under the surface so we're trying to hold those different stories so at times we'll we're going we'll we'll laugh I'm sure, uh, and at times we're going to feel the pain of some of that as well, uh, and that's all in the mix together in this conversation. Uh, another thing I want to mention is that some people have got in touch to say, hey, you know, not all mega churches are like this, um, and so I just want to say, hey, we're not saying they are necessarily, um, but it's a little bit, you know, we have to just start with what we're seeing, and um, we're not trying to universally apply these reflections to everyone, everywhere at all times, but simply to say, here's some common themes and problems that we're seeing in these spaces and that we've seen for ourselves in these spaces, and and here's how we're going to process that together. Um, Kind of connected to that is some people who have said, you know, um, 
let's talk about a way forward. We need to talk about something, you know, it's not realistic perhaps for everyone to just leave these churches. And so, so what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this? How do we make them better? And so we are going to talk about that. We are going to have a conversation uh, around, you know, what a, is there such a thing as a healthy mega church? And if so, what would it possibly look like? And we're going to explore that. Uh, but I think it's important that we haven't done that too soon because I think the temptation sometimes is to want to jump on the positive spin and be like, okay, well, how can we fix this all up? And people are still sitting bleeding on the side of the road saying, um, before you just talk about fixing it up and carrying on, could someone actually tend to what's going on here? So I think that's important. And I also think it's important to sit with the problem long enough to understand it as well as possible. Because if we don't understand the depth of the problem, then we're not going to come up with solutions that actually um, have sufficient substance to deal with what's going on here and offer some correction. So uh, so that's a bit of what's going on in these conversations from from our perspective. Um, one other thing before before we get started, I suppose, is, is people are like, hey, it's it's not just mega churches. It's lots of churches. Small churches can be awful and toxic, and you know, um, Anglican communities and Catholic communities, and of course, we know of widespread abuse within some of those other spaces as well. So, yes, uh, by no means are we saying that um, that toxicity and power and coercion and manipulation only occurs within um, Pentecostal evangelical mega churches. But um, again, we can't talk about all problems in all communities everywhere. Uh, all at once. We've, we've got to be able to say, well, let's talk about something that we in particular have some experience and knowledge of because that's a conversation perhaps we can offer something helpful toward. Uh, and that's that's a starting point for us here. Um, and perhaps the other thing to say is that, th- that there are particular elements of the megachurch conversation that are unique to megachurches, the sense of scale that amplifies so much of this stuff. Um, you end up with different kinds of pressures uh, you end up with perhaps a national or a global brand to protect with huge, huge amounts of debt to service and um, the excesses of green rooms and the preaching circuits and the celebrity culture. And and so it's not that small churches and, and other church traditions can't be toxic and awful. Yes, absolutely they can be. But also there are some specific things going on here that we that we want to talk about in particular. And and even perhaps more so because many of these mega churches have held themselves up as the benchmark of success, as the ones that all others should follow and emulate. And so that you know, these mega churches are often the ones running the how to do church conferences that everybody goes off to and tries to tries to follow. And so by holding themselves up as the benchmark, um, they're worthy of considerable examination. And so that's important to think about as we have these conversations. So um, all of that to say, look, we're hearing the feedback and it's and it's awesome and it's great to see so many people finding these conversations helpful uh, in the processing or in even just in the sense of solidarity and of saying you are not alone in your experience. The last thing to say is that these conversations are kind of freeform. Uh, we've got a, a sense of what it is that we're talking about, but... Um, but these are not particularly, you know, curated, highly produced episodes uh, of the of the podcast. I'm not even sure that in the shift ever is that. But uh, but these conversations in particular are just us, really, just talking. We've got some stuff that we want to talk about, of course. Uh, but these are pretty free form. Uh, we're just processing together, talking, conversing, and hoping that what it is that we discuss and the insights that hopefully we've we're able to bring to the conversation are helpful to you. So uh, so that's what we're going to do. So here we go. This is episode 57 of In the Shift 
Let's get into it. One of the things that's been sort of really amazing to watch unfold over recent times has been everybody being like, how is all this kind of going on? So especially if you're outside the system, you're like, how has all this been happening? Yeah, um, it's kind of like the, the veil's been lifted suddenly and yes. all the actors are caught in place. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah, been that's... like, what on earth is going on in here? Yes. Um, <laughs> and how did you think that was okay? And and so that's, you know, I think a really fascinating sort of part of, of what's going on. And then, in fact, you know, we, we talked a little bit in the last episode about honor culture because I think that kind of silencing of people and their experiences is a big part of um, mm. of, of this. So you, there's no room for critique or challenge or question. Um, mm. But one of the other things that, that sort of came out of that last conversation but that we didn't really get to in talking about was this idea of like plausible de- deniability, right? Mm. Which I think we see a lot, especially with the best kind of manipulators. Um <gasps> We, we see this very effective kind of um, way of of communicating things in such a way or doing things in such a way that if someone raises it as an issue, you can make them feel a bit silly for raising it, right? Mm. We, we talked a little bit about this last time about how some of this operates just because if you were to do, if you were to do something so obvious too often, you wouldn't get away with mm. it. Like you can't yell at people all the time yeah. because that's going to get found out. It needs to be special. <laughs> It's been a special context where it's excusable when, you know, some kind of righteous anger. So, yeah, like we're going to lead into this conversation around plausible deniability. But so much of this, so much of the excesses that are happening um, in these spaces and things that once you lift the veil on them and broadcast them to the world and you have readers on Webworm going like, how did anyone let them get away with this? Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems so absurd and so shocking is because you have very, very skilled people who are either clever and calculated or just intuitively great manipulators and gaslighters mm. um, who have a capacity to, to, to do this thing called plausible deniability. Yeah, and kind of connected to this is I think something else we've already mentioned, which is like the death by a thousand cuts thing, which is that mm. it, often isn't, it often isn't the big thing. Mm. Sometimes it is, but often it's the many, many, many little things that if you try and address any of them, on their own, you sound oh. like you're, you're making a big deal over nothing, yeah. which means that you've got a real problem. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. part of plausible deniability then is kind of connected to that, which is you know, doing things or saying things in such a way that when you, when you raise it, um, or even if you think about raising it, you're aware yeah. that this is going to play out like that's the way you interpreted it, but that's not the way we meant it or something, which is kind of classic gaslighting, right? So... Mm. Um, you know, I remember someone, for example, saying something, you know, saying, you don't have to, let's say it was me, I'd be like, you don't have to call me, I don't make anybody call me Pastor Michael, you know, I don't enforce that on anyone. But if you choose not to call me Pastor Michael, well then, you know, that's, that says something about your heart. And, <laughs> and what that means is you're kind of totally hamstrung in that, right? Yeah. So yeah. if you don't call I'm them, telling you the right, you don't have to say the right answer, but I am telling you what the wrong answer is. Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, if you go to them and say, you're making us all call you pastor, they say, no, we quite clearly said you didn't have to, you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that's like a very small example of something like mm. of, of plausible deniability in the sense that I can plausibly deny yeah. that. You don't have you know, to be at every service, but if you're not at every service, do you really love the church? Mm. 
you know, like where are your priorities? Mm. Yeah. Um, we see this as well in some of the, well, I guess what really is bullying culture that we're seeing come out of some of the stories, in some of the stories, which which is kind of covered with the, but we were just joshing around, mm. joking mm. and having some fun. Yeah. And you took it too seriously kind yeah. of deniability. Um, yeah, re- reading that the the particular webworm that covered the, you know, um, yeah, exposure of genitals and the kind of um, punching and mm. what, you know, in some contexts would be called horseplay and, and, and fooling around. I, I went to an all-boys school and um, that mix of, um, of homophobic um, language mixed with homoerotic play um, is is classic of a bullying culture, mm-hmm. and um, we could talk a whole lot more about some of the sexuality frames behind that stuff. But again, we <laughs> try and dive into everything today. But mm-hmm. um, again, all of that stuff, you know, at a at a, in a minor grade in a metabolizable form, um, you, you might it might actually be a bonding thing. Um, it might actually start out as some kind of, you know, um, you know, just joking around. But the problem is there's no framework for when it crosses a line. And what happens within cultures is that, you know, yesterday's abnormal becomes tomorrow's no- today's normal. And so these things kind of become ingrained in the culture and then escalate and escalate and escalate slowly to the point where where they started off as and what they started off as and what they have become are two entirely different things, but sometimes they've been done so gradually um, and been so built into the culture, then that is just the way things are around here. And so you can kind of metabolize a whole lot or you can justify a whole lot more of it because that's just our vibe. Mm. Um, But that's causing enormous harm for people. And how can you say, hey, you know that thing that you're finding so funny, it's actually causing me to have a mental breakdown mm. like th- that sound that sounds ridiculous when it especially when it's so public like yeah some of some of the stuff is just things that hide in plain sight which again you get that group think thing happening where everyone's okay with it it's happening in front of everyone everyone's laughing therefore this must be kind of okay and if i think it's odd or unusual or harmful then i'm the odd one out yeah um I was going to put in an Emperor's New Clothes reference, but that all the nudity is just too close to home, so we'll just skip that. Yeah, it's um, it's another it's another way of of accomplishing this 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 kind. Of, it's, it's a very it's very um, it's not always intentional. Even it's mm. sometimes it's it's people who just are almost instinctively bullies or manipulative, right? But it, but it's, it's very clever in the way that it makes someone feel. Foolish, embarrassed, ashamed, yep. or humiliated for even yep. daring to raise or to think that this is an issue that I need to bring up. Even yep. when, yeah, like what you say, over time those issues can become more and more um, serious. Yeah, um, and, and and all of them are forms of domination as well. Mm, like even with mm. the, I was just thinking back to the kind of you know the the humor side of things. Um, Someone who's involved in these stories, I was once in a, in a green room with them and then 
quipped something and said something funny and everyone laughed. And every time I did that, they would say, you're a funny guy, Shane Meyer. You're really funny. And there was something about the fact that they weren't in control of that situation, that they had to assert that they were, they were approving of and not threatened by my humor or mm-hmm. anyone else's humor. And it was a, it was a to, like, that's a total power move to say, I approve this message and I trust that it won't be turned back on me. Mm. Um, and so is all of the kind of like, quote unquote, horseplay stuff. Like it's only, it only gets to go one way, right? Like yeah. if you yeah, yeah. aren't allowed to call someone by their name and have to call them past or something, um, you're definitely not allowed to punch them back. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so all of these are implicit or explicit moves of domination mm. to let everyone know who's in charge. But again, they come with plausible deniability and these people for the most part aren't outright punching someone in the head. Mm. You know, they're just giving them a dead leg. Mm. But the effect is largely the same except you're powerless to do anything about it. Yeah, and that powerlessness is is a big feature of of these stories and that's it's that um the avoiding of, of talking about that power dynamic um, that yeah. allows you to essentially say, but what, we were all just having a good time. Yeah. Um, or to say, hey, you've just interpreted us wrong, you know. Mm. Uh, all, all that kind of stuff is, is yeah. fed by the, by the unhealthy power dynamics at play. And I guess we'll get into this with the kind of growth stuff as well, but lots of the kind of like high expectation stuff isn't linked to <laughs> I'm a controlling asshole or um, I um, demand that I rule your life. It's linked to vision. Aren't we all on the same page? Don't we all want the same thing? Of course, you know, this is not me demanding that you give every waking minute to something. This is all of us pitching in for the same, we all want the same, the mm, same thing. Mm. Um, we're working towards what is good. And again, that's plausible deniability of saying, we'd never demand that anyone mm. gives this many hours or does this much stuff. We just assumed that everyone was working towards the same end. And this is how we get there. And we're all, we're all working hard. Like, Again, it's plausible. <laughs> totally. And the, the same thing can happen actually with, with the honor culture stuff, which is people will say, I don't actually, I don't need all of this honor, but it's actually, it's just the biblical way yeah. to go about things. And so yeah. I don't actually need you to drive me everywhere and feed me grapes mm. and fan me when I'm hot and, <laughs> you know, um, I don't need you to do all that stuff for me. Um, but it's just, it's, this is just a, you know, this is just the the biblical principle, and so mm. you know, and, mm. and actually, again, there, it's the externalizing. I'm, yeah, I'm a victim of it as much yeah. as you are. It's the externalizing <laughs> out. It's it's the it's the avoiding taking any responsibility for any of the harmful stuff, right? Mm. And that's that's something mm. that then, it's it's a narcissistic trait in that sense, and narcissism can kind of function at the level of the individual right through to the system, which itself, which can become narcissistic in the way that it, that it protects insiders and and um and crushes dissent and. And victim and sees itself as the victim uh, and the misinterpreted mm. one and the misunderstood one. Um, 
Yeah. All right. Well, and, yeah, sorry. And, and again, sorry, again, with all that stuff, like it, it raises the same kinds of people to the top as mm, well. Mm. Like the, the, the kinds of people that can work the, work well in the system and work the system are the kind of people that end up being elevated. And the people who are too sensitive to do this to others um, end up falling away. And yeah. so it becomes, you know, at, at the top, it becomes like an, an ecosystem of these things. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that if, if there's someone in the organization who really genuinely cares about people, um, there's very little chance they're going to climb too high, because mm. that's that's not what is needed, mm. right? And so let's 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 talk about this then, because the, what's driving here is is the kind of the desire for growth, the desire for influence, and and essentially um, that being the primary aim of what we're about as a church here. We're we're about growth. Yeah. Um, however, we couch that and whatever kind of language we give to that, and however we we put it in terms of vision or in reaching the lost or reaching the world. Yeah, what are some of the ways that you've come across it? Like, you know, because I, I mean, we always had the healthy things grow um, yeah. metaphor, uh, which is, which you know, in nature is true to some extent. Um, although if as a person you don't stop growing um, <laughs> at a particular age, then you're actually considered like quite unhealthy and bad things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, healthy things grow. Um it's not about numbers, but um, but it is about numbers. <laughs> I used to hear, <laughs> used to hear that one. phrase all the time. It's yeah. not about numbers, but it is about numbers, mm. um, which is really um, – we're a bit embarrassed about the fact that it's about numbers, but that's what it's mm. about. Um, we're not but, counting thousand. We're counting one, one, oh, one. Oh, yeah. One. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Like the little uh, – what's the story? The starfish, you know, throwing them back oh, into the ocean. It matters to this one. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, lots but of – th- But you're throwing them on the hot concrete. <laughs> We've still got them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you're a funny guy. Um, <laughs> I approve this message. <laughs> I'm the host of this podcast, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, so – Lots of lots of different ways of couching. It's kind of yeah, a vision to we're not in this to to just grow for the sake of it, but it's because it's about souls um, oh, being clutching, saved. You know, cl- clutching souls from hell, mm. snatching souls from hell. I'm not sure. Uh, it's been a long time, but One yeah, of all all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so all of that essentially becomes a spiritual um, a justification for an mm. endless growth strategy. So I, mean, I saw I saw a clip the other day of of Brian Houston being interviewed many years ago uh, and being asked, you know, can a church get, you know, what size should a church get to before it's kind of too big? And he's just like, I don't think a church can ever be too big. Mm. Yeah. Because the the kingdom of God should always grow and the, and the church should always then be growing because it, sh- it should be saving souls wherever it goes. And, of course, that would lead to bigger and bigger and bigger churches, right? Mm. So that seems like a pretty natural Yep. Thing? Sure does. So, um, so what's the problem with this then? And different kinds of churches, we do not need them. Thank you very much. No, that's right. <laughs> churches outside of our control, <laughs> they can shrink and die. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so, okay, so let's talk about um, the implications of this then. What, what does this start to do to a place when this, mm. is, when this sits at the center? You know, and, and I've been in, in churches with the strategic plans of the church, say, in the next 12 months, we are going to see um, twelve hundred conversions. We're going yep. to see uh, this department grow by X percent. We're going to see this church grow by such and such a percent. Um, 
So, and, and those strategic plans always Was there to, a 2020 vision thrown in there somewhere? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, 20,000 by 2020. Got quieter and quieter. 20,000 by 2020, 2020, something like that. Yeah. Uh, it was 20,000 by 2012, I think, initially. And then, then, oh, then, whoops. But I'd gone by then. That was a typo, so. I'm sure. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, the, the um, yeah, the, or, it's it's intentional. They are they are they want to grow. They're trying to grow. They're doing everything they can to grow. And a lot mm. of what goes on in terms of activity is mm. about that growth. Yeah. Um, so what does that what does that do to a place, to a culture? Yeah. Uh, I, I guess the, the the first thing I'd say it does to a place is that it can't stop growing, which sounds really obvious and not why well, I'm being paid the the big bucks of zero dollars of being on here, but um. What happens when something can't stop or can't slow down or definitely can't go backwards is that what you can do is you can set up with an initial vision of saying, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is our kind of model and formula. This is how we care for people. This is how we care for our staff. This is our whole framework about how the the kind of church that we are and how we exist healthily. And we have seen in the past that as we've done this, we've continued to grow. So we're going to keep on doing that thing and keep on growing. Um, And that works great until you don't keep going. And then you've either got to reevaluate the growth goal or the methodology of saying, or the the target of saying, we are a growing place and we will keep on growing, the infinite growth model. Or you have to adjust your methodology. And what often goes down (laughs) first um, is that all the things that made you healthy in the first place and kind of like brought that kind of growth about, um, they're the first thing to go by the wayside. So you can't ever stop for anything. You can't ever slow down for anything because you don't have built into that growth framework um, any other kinds of measurements of what you're actually aiming for. And so you just have to keep the good thing going and then you'll end up justifying all kinds of actions and all kinds of um, means to get to that good end to make sure that good thing happens. And the faster you grow and the faster you expand, the slimmer your margins get. Mm. And so if you are kind of expecting a growth rate that's faster than you can establish systems that keep you safe and healthy and policy and procedures, um, faster than you can equip people to care for people or lead in healthy ways in these spaces, faster than you can kind of metabolize and know the community that you're actually ministering to. Um, And particularly in these kind of high growth places, the communities change. The communities change massively. So the number might stay either stagnant or keep on growing, but the actual individuals in that system could be, it could refresh itself entirely in two years. And the reality is it doesn't actually matter um, in this framework because you're still growing. And you might have sent, you know, a thousand people to the death of their faith because they're, you know, totally disillusioned and burned out. But as long as you've got a thousand, 1,200 at the end of the next year, you can still like, pop some balloons and party poppers and have some champagne. Um, but yeah, so what, what happens is that the, the methodology of this is our kind of good practice that we um, aspire to, that's the first thing to get compromised because you can't compromise the growth thing. So you'll start pushing people harder. You'll start placing demands on people that you wouldn't have placed before. You'll start leading in ways, you know, which you 
if seen in the cold light of day or when you started out on this journey, you'd say, no, that's not who we are and what we do. But it seems justified because you have to keep on growing. Um, and you can't ever say, stop. Mm. Actually, right now, we need to tend to something else. We need to tend to the health of this community. We need to tend to, you know, we've had a massive influx of people who are bruised in a particular way um, and need a certain kind of care. So we'll modify our approach or modify where our energy goes to meet that need or to spend time listening to or caring for that group of people. Um, you can't afford to do any of that because you've just got to keep on doing the thing, doing whatever takes it takes to get the numbers flowing in. I mean, I know, you know, <laughs> uh, looking at Hillsong, who had, um, you know, promises about, you know, who that, you know, we'll run a Bible college and we'll send the people back to you and there's no way we would take them from your congregation until about three years in they realised, ah, shit, we actually really need these <laughs> Bible college students to stay with us or we're not going to keep growing. So we'll quickly change our policy on that. And, you know, a lot of them didn't really even want to go back anyway because yours is kind of crap. Um, you know, so so all the best intentions can be revised um, when needed to reach a growth goal. The, um, like the Hillsong College in particular is like a fascinating example because essentially what happened is they grew to a point of having thousands of students who were able to, to do a lot of work to make the church happen. And a lot mm. of other mega churches looked at that and thought, wow, look at what you can do when you've got a whole lot of interns yeah. uh, and started their own colleges. Absolutely. And so internship programs were started in churches all over the place. Yeah. Um, now, internship programs are not always bad. Um, they no. can be really, really good. They are almost things. always bad, but they're not always bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, um, I, went through, I went through an internship and it was actually by and large a, Fantastic experience mm. for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there are internships that, like like in any kind of um, vocational, you know, yeah. pathway, internships can function as a really healthy thing uh, or they can be really toxic. Um, yeah. And I think one of the problems in many of these spaces is they set out to build an internship program specifically to generate yes. a workforce because that workforce… What's the will, minimum bar of theology that we need? Oh, <laughs> we need one study of Romans. There you go. Have that, and then do a lot of other work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so and so that's what then leads to those those interns doing stuff in all sorts of churches, not just in one or mm. two. Uh, mm. That that really doesn't constitute um, them being trained and equipped, um, yeah. and discipled and whatever. Um, and a lot of things, a lot of them think they're getting into ministry. Mm. Um, but that's a very broad term. Yeah, and a lot of them, what they think they're actually getting trained in is not even close to the kinds of things, skill sets that they will need. Mm. I mean, look, everyone needs to set up chairs, so there is that. But you'd hope that um, most ministry, you know, vocations have more, more than that. Um, yeah, so, you, so, so that's the way in which then the growth mentality just starts to spin out into all sorts of spaces in, in the church. And like you say, you can't, you can't stop or slow down. And some of the very practical realities of that, so you take on – staff that you now need to yep. pay and so if you start to not grow or even shrink yes um, because you made certain decisions around caring for people perhaps or mm. or whatever it might be well then what happens to those staff you've now employed um, and obviously those are decisions businesses and organizations have to make all the time so that mm. in itself is, mm. is not a problem but but the load of that um, 
gets gets bigger and bigger. You often these churches are taking on significant um, building projects as a you know pretty yep. classic feature of, of mega churches, and those building yep. projects are, are typically never ending. Um, yep. Well, there are actually a church, I mean, most of you will already know this, but there are a church growth strategy that got popularized through church growth consultants a long time ago, effectively to say, if you get people giving money and working towards something, and if, you know, back in the day, you could get before work safe stuff, you could get doing hands-on stuff. Like, the more, the longer people are working on something like that and feel like they're actually, you know, putting their shoulder to the plow, or I don't know how to plow, so it might not be that. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure it's not groin, so let's go with shoulder. Um you know, if you can get people involved and engaged in that way, they will keep on participating and carrying on. And um, and and some churches founders, church growth consultants told you that once the building project stopped, everyone left because suddenly it wasn't, you know, they weren't really achieving anything anymore. And so, yeah, the, the interesting thing with with that um, is that those 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 visions and those dreams and those ideas, uh, they're never in con- consultation with the community. So they're, they're checks written by senior leadership teams or our person, um, you know, so you might take on a million dollars worth of debt that everyone has to pay off. I remember um, someone who you, who you know well, um, you know, sharing a story about, you know, someone in his community asking him, you know, how are you, pastor? And he said, think of it like this. I've got a bag on my back with a million seeds in it because they had a million dollar debt. And this is back when a million dollars was even more money than it is now. And, you know, I'm fine, but it'd just be great if just someone would just take, you know, just a few of these seeds so I wasn't carrying it alone. And I remember hearing it and going like, yeah, you like bought the bag and filled it with a million seeds yourself, you idiot. You didn't ask anybody else if they wanted to share those million seeds already. Now you're just walking around with it going, if only someone would help me out with this thing that I took on and promised on behalf of all of you. Um, yeah, like that, 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 that stuff, like we will keep on growing. So we will, we will come up with more and more impressive sounding visions that you now have to do the work for. Mm. <laughs> Let's get excited. Um, and it's embarrassing to go backwards. In fact, you know, we kind of referenced the, the 2020 vision before, but yeah, there is one context which had a 2020 by uh, 20,000 people by 2020 uh, vision, which as the years got closer, it just got quieter and quieter and mentioned less and less until like, you know, 2019, it didn't get a mention. And rather than saying, hey, you know, we didn't get there for these reasons or that isn't what we felt anymore or we've actually decided that wasn't a great idea because we'd have to push people too far, you just can't talk about it because that would be that would be failure, which says about everything you need to know about growth for growth's sake. Yeah, and you know, there are lots of intersecting problematic features of that kind of thing because one is often that God because because to get the people to buy in to the mm. big growth strategy you have to say that God told you that this was the thing absolutely so then yeah. it's a bit embarrassing to be like mm, God was God yeah God was whoops, wrong whoops, when this God you made him you made a miscalculation yeah. um, <laughs> despite your omniscience uh, <laughs> and and so, <laughs> um, what one of the words you hear a lot in these spaces is momentum that you've got to yeah. you've got to keep up momentum. You can't afford yeah. to lose momentum even for a moment, yeah. uh, which means that you can't um, take a break. Yeah, you can't um, pause for a week. Yeah, um, you know I'm in a faith community that breaks for three or four weeks over the summer, um, mm. and takes long weekends off, and it's like really beautiful. Mm. 
Um, but you but you can't sort of you can't you can't afford to do that for all sorts of reasons. You can't just even yep. financially afford to do it because you'll miss a week of of tithes that you need yep. to, that you're relying yep. on. Uh, and you can't do it because if people take a couple of weeks off, you're very worried that they might not come back. Yeah, because you rely on their ritual and their habit and their pattern and their mo- and the momentum of the thing. Um, but you're also aware moving. that if you if you got them because your church was shinier than the one down the road, then the, there's another one down the road that might be shiny too. Mm. And so to so to to kind of if anything kind of takes the gloss off. Like when we get to the kind of how what's a healthy megachurch conversation is <laughs> like one of my kind of like key um, like principles <laughs> is and I use that word with yeah a lot of irony because that's also the language of megachurches. But one of my key <laughs> principles is this idea that it's actually about the health and life of the community that's participating in it, and so. If the community can't do, like, for example, I'm in, a, I'm in a church community where, you know, we have a lot of people in the care industry and a lot of um, traumatized people and a um, fairly fluid community in a lot of ways because people kind of like orbit in and out of the spaces they are able to kind of like be near churches and not. Um, for, 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 lot, for lots of reasons, uh, we are a church that doesn't do a heck of a lot in terms of like high output stuff. Um, mm. We try and keep things really simple. Um but one of our kind of commitments is just to whatever we do will just be sustainable. And so mm. if there are things that we do that it isn't healthy for the community to do for a season because we don't have the resources to do them, we won't do them. And so for periods of time, um, even just really simple things like we won't have coffee and tea. And coffee and tea is really nice. And, you know, people who are coming to the church for the first time or whatever, coffee and tea can help make people feel comfortable. So it's a really good reason to keep doing it. But if we don't have the resources to do it, We'll just say we're not doing that during the season because we don't have the capacity to do to do that. Um, because it's actually not about the function of the service; it's actually about the health and life of the people within the community. Mm. You can't not do the light show. You can't not, in these contexts, mm. have a conference that's like a bit crapper than the last one. Yeah, because you go, oh, actually, this year. People are really overworked and there's some stuff going on within our community. And we'll talk about this in a minute, but like, yeah, there's some stuff happening within our community, but, you know, this is not the year to push things more. We're actually just going to like, you know, trim down a bit. Like that, that can't happen within this model because you'll break, you'll break momentum. Mm. And I guess this comes, comes kind of into some of the background theology, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a few weeks, but is this idea of the best is yet to come or another level or, this kind of breakthrough theology, which infiltrates not only the kind of corporate structures, but it's supposed to map onto our lives as well. Mm. Is that mm. everything gets better all of the time? Um, yeah, and I think that that, as much as anything, leads to leads to abuse. Um, and the problem is, it's a really nice idea, and it's one that all of us want to believe, especially if our lives aren't that great. We want to believe that things will get better and better and better. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a very. It can be a very comforting thought, right? That things are going to get better, uh, and yep. things are always going to get better. Um, and the unfortunate impact of that, in real terms, is is again, like you're saying, it's both personal and also system wide. So, at a personal level, which we can talk about at some point, 
if things are always supposed to get better, but they don't, mm. they actually get worse um, or they mm. get hard or yeah. not just that they get hard, but people die, mm. well then, um, then, then the best is yet to come narrative struggles to yeah. know what to do with that. Yeah. Um, and so we come up with other reasons to, to explain it, like maybe an attack of the devil or, or, yeah. or something like that. But, you know, yeah. um, that, that can lead to personal crisis yeah. um, when, when things always have to go to another level or the best is yet to come. And then at a system-wide issue, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. The, the pressure that comes on people to, to have to keep lifting the bar, and there are, again, spiritual reasons given often. Um, yeah. But... But you know, if if you if you are coming up to an event and um, you actually don't have someone to run the light show, yeah, then you've got a conundrum, which is either we don't do the light show, and everybody thinks this was no, you know, you've lost your way because this isn't as shiny and good as the last time, yeah, or you have to you have to squeeze that person, yeah, until they turn up and do it, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, I think back to my own experience of being involved uh, in mega church life and thinking back to incidents where I did that to people. I was under pressure to deliver something. Mm. This is especially true, I think, within the kind of the events um, and the yeah. worship and arts and creative arts teams in churches. Uh, this is often where some of this pressure lands. Um, mm. Is you you've you've got to put on this thing and it's got to be amazing mm. and. And if and if you need to, well, then you just kind of have to, you just have to lean on those people in particular ways because otherwise, you're not yep. going to have the personnel that you need to pull it off. In mm. which case, um, you're going to put on something well, that you, wasn't as do good. You want, yeah. So there's kind of like a multifaceted thing of that, eh? Like, like, do you want to be the one that tells the person above you that that's not going to happen, so they can go and tell the person above them that mm-hmm. that's not going to happen? Mm-hmm. No. So that someone secondly, can yell in a meeting somewhere and then that yelling will get passed down to you? Yep. Yeah. And then secondly, do you want to be the person who stops the move of God? Sure, yeah. Yeah. Because God is doing this thing and mm. this is the mechanism mm. through which God does it. Mm-hmm. And if you say no to this, then God can't do the thing that God wants to do. Mm. I mean, like, what's amazing about God is just how bound she is by technology as time has gone on because God used to be able to do, you know, if you, if you do believe miracle stories in the Bible um, and you have a variety of opinions on that and the listeners here, but if you do, God used to do a lot with very little fish and things. Um, But now moves of God require a lot more um, three-faced power. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, so, you know, even what we're talking about here is, is is directly connected to the many stories of burnout that that we're hearing you know, emerge from, again, from many churches um, of people. And, and again, there are different forms of burnout. Sometimes people burn out because of unsustainable pastoral load or in terms of carrying people's stories and hurt and pain. And, you know, there are all mm. sorts of forms of burnout. Yeah. But one of the particular forms of burnout we're seeing in these churches is just people burnt out through sheer exhaustion at putting mm. on events mm. and, um, and keeping the wheels of the machine turning yeah. um, and doing the gardens of the pastor. So... Yeah. Um, you know, that flows directly from this another level growth, best is yet to come, it's got to be better than last time uh, kind of narrative that that we've bought into here in these spaces. And look, the genius of it is it's backed up by, so that's the corporate structure, but it's backed up by the individual spirituality as well. Mm. Um, because you are supposed to be growing in capacity 
and getting stronger and stronger and being able to carry more load. And your life is supposed to be getting better and better and God is doing new and good things. I mean, I just think about the the kind of breakthrough spirituality um, of there's always like there's this kind of like, you know, crepe paper curtain you know, 50 meters ahead and, you know, you're about to, you're about to break through to another level. And all this language is so amorphous, like no one knows what it means. Um, other than it does bear some correlation to real life experiences where, um, you know, you're going to receive breakthrough in your relationships and then you have a good conversation with that girl you like, or what, you know, there's these, it's close enough to real life that you can feel like you're experiencing this thing, um, but far enough away from real life that you can promise endless rounds of this. Mm. And there's always another level, a new thing. Our church is going to a different place. We're going to grow an influence. And again, no one can measure this. I mean, I'm mm. sure that um, the the initial webworm title of, you know, the church, <laughs> the church that you've never heard of is like, you know, a, a dagger in the heart to some um, who believe that the church <laughs> is growing and growing in influence. Um, but there's that like on a, on a personal level, you are supposed to be breaking through and experiencing new and new ecstatic heights all of the time. And like, even just kind of in the, in the, you know, small micro levels of church services where there's this kind of like, you know, let's praise until we break through in these transcendent moments and all these cues that are supposed to show us that, you know, we're breaking through to this kind of like moment of bliss. Um, and then we'll continue to do that every week and that becomes a kind of drug and we have to kind of model our lives around that and everything's getting better all of the time. Mm. Um, what happens when you hit a life crisis? Mm. What happens when you have a mental health challenge? Is it actually depression or is it just a bad attitude? Is it actually exhaustion or are you just not pushing through? Have you mm. not prayed for your breakthrough? Have you, mm. Are you doing it in your strength rather than God's? Because again, if God promised this, then God can deliver the resources for it. And so it's when impossible, you've trained, It's impossible to burn out when you're on fire, Shane. Which again doesn't make any thing. sense. No, it doesn't. But oh, it's a ripper, <laughs> ripper of a line, though. <laughs> I would say it's very possible to burn out when you're on fire. Mm. Like that's just science. And that's the literal um, nature of all fires. <laughs> that's how. <laughs> what's, what law of thermodynamics is it? Um, yeah. So, like, but when, again, like once you've got like it can't again the stuff looks absurd from the outside, but when you've got a culture mm. where everyone has an ingrained expectation that's kind of been. They've been soaking in for a long, long time where they have they've learned to suppress negativity in their life. Mm. They've learned to suppress doubt and questions. They've learned to suppress, um, I mean, like our relationship to our bodies and this one is just huge. And we talked about this a bit last time. If you've, if, if you've told your body no, <laughs> if your body sent signals to you to say, you need to stop, you need to slow down, you said, no, I'm breaking through enough times. Um then all of that makes it really, really hard the more serious it gets because you've had a lifetime of ignoring your body, of ignoring the cues, mm. of ignoring fractured relationships, of spinning negative life experiences into positive ones and saying things like absurd things like, you know, God is in control and everything happens for a reason. Mm. And, you know, um, all, all, of, all of that stuff, which essentially says, you know, like this is, this is all a part of the upwards journey, which just gets better and better and better. And that just means that you can't 
stop. You can't say no, which feeds the church system, which can't stop mm. and can't say no mm. either. And so you're kind of primed yeah. for, for participation in this. I mean, I have talked to people who don't believe in mental health mm. because they've managed to convince themselves they've never struggled with it and they've fixed it with a positive attitude so everyone else mm. must be able to too, which again is absurd. But you can convince yourself if you're caught up in a system which reinforces it and you go to a service which in its very structure is so perfect and so exciting yeah. and so good and so triumphant that you get a dose of that every week and you and you believe it. And that it makes it makes it all the more exciting to think that your church and your kind of faith can fix everybody's supposed mental health problems. If only everybody would come to the church, they'd find that yeah. they'd get fixed by Jesus and by a positive attitude and um, by breaking through. Yeah. Um, yeah. Your, your story about, uh, your comment about ignoring your body made me just think, I don't think I've ever said this before, uh, maybe think of a time when I tidied up my room at my at my flat many years ago when I was, you know, still deep in the in the system. Um, to be fair, wasn't a great tidier, but I did, I tidied... <laughs> Um, but it's I, not all the church, Michael. There's some res personal responsibility. I, oh, when you know, whenever the uh, whenever the pastor said, you know, I'll know you're a good leader by the by how tidy your car and your and your and your house is. You know, if I came and looked in your car right now, would it show me a good leader? I'd always like shrink into my chair. Um, <laughs> if, if I got to go to it, then I might tidy it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but I remember, I remember tidying up my room and being a little bit shocked by the number of empty 100 pill Nurofen bottles. Ooh. Um, because uh, I'd just gotten in the habit of taking them to stop the headaches that I always had. Yeah. Um, and then I just started taking them preemptively, especially before before game day, yeah. be before church. I'd have to make sure yeah. I had my, had my neurofins with me, yeah. had some beforehand, had them on hand so that, so that I wouldn't let my body tell me to stop. Um, so yeah, <laughs> hey, those signals down. there's a great story about how awesome my life was. So, um, <laughs> um, yeah. I, th I think, um, you know, something you're starting to touch on there is, is what's sometimes called toxic positivity as well, which is yeah. this inability to acknowledge the hard, the difficult, the painful, the, the traumatic, the, the exhaustion, the tiredness, the negative the negative emotions, which actually aren't negative, <laughs> they're, yeah. they're not negative at all. They're, they're, they're framed as negative, but in fact what they yeah. are is your body telling you something about your life uh, or about yeah. what's going on for you. Yeah. And so this kind of best is yet to come, another level, growth, breakthrough, means that you've always got to be like, oh, I'm, this is good, I'm good, I'm moving up. Because if you're the person who goes around going, actually, things are really hard, yeah. well, you know that how that's going to, sound yep. and be interpreted someone yep. with low capacity mm -hmm. someone who's who's losing their way or not up to it uh, yep. who's, you know who's getting a, either a, who's letting things get to them or develop you know, whatever all of that kind of stuff right and so you end up um just only emphasizing and in fact not just emphasizing the good parts in fact constructing the good out yep. of thin air um, mm. Sometimes, so that mm. you've got a good story to tell um, to yourself yeah. first and foremost, um, mm. and then and then to other people in that space. Mm.
in, in, in a way in which, yeah, I was thinking a while ago about um about the megachurch as a contextless place. Um, and so I don't know if you'd notice the architecture of most of them, but there's no windows. Some would say, much like casinos, there's no windows. Uh, everything is in control. Mm. The outside world can't penetrate the presentation that's happening there. So the light is in control, the sound is in control, the timing is in control, everything is in control to play out the scene of love and excitement and enthusiasm and breakthrough and goodness and all of the stuff. And even when ruptures to that are um, brought in, like when you're talking about difficulty or they're all narrated for you. You don't, you don't ever get to say, you know, what your experience is. You're told similar experiences and then told how to frame them. So you're given a narrative for um, all these experiences that fits the shape of the service, which has transcendent moments and peaks and troughs, but it's shiny and it's good and it's completely in control. It's completely unable to be punctured by the world outside of it, but it's also unable to be punctured by the communal life within it. And so if there's stuff happening within the lives of the community or the bodies of the community that might need tending to, but that they don't fit the series that's planned or the vision that's given or the experience of the person who gets to talk, then there's no breaking through. They have to be submersed and pushed down so that we can reenact the tri- the story of the triumphant God, um, mm. which kind of flattens life out into this constant upwards trajectory that actually becomes like really like like trance like mm-hmm. um, but it misses all of the texture like one of the things I love about the church calendar. And we are my community is kind of loosely, we loosely tie, tie ourselves to the church calendar. One of the things I love about it is it brings you into life experiences that you don't otherwise want. And mm. so it prepares you for what might be to come um, and draws you into that in ways in which people who are experiencing that at the time can go, yes, I know what this is and this is my experience of it. And particularly if you have a community where people can actually give feedback and, um, and share their stories in. Um, but then it also drags others of us into experiences that we don't particularly want at the time. Like we're a reasonably cynical community and every year we have to do Advent, which is a season of anticipation about a good gift that's given. And for people who have been traumatized and bruised, sometimes we're cynical enough that we don't really want to focus on that. But it makes us wrestle with what hope might look like in our framework. And that's good. And there's other people in our community who are enthusiasts and they have to go through the dark night of the soul and Holy Saturday and journey to the cross and all this kind of stuff and and think about the fact that we're all going to die. And that's part of life too. And, And where is God in that? And this amazing tradition that sat with us as Christians for such a long time is smoothed out and smoothed over by and large. Um, 
mm. by these by these contextless spaces. And even if you do, you know, of course, we'll still touch on Easter and that, but we'll never lean too deeply into those things if they get in the way of the narrative that Jesus is risen. Like we don't spend a lot of time in Holy Saturday mm. in doubt and despair with Jesus asking, why have you forsaken me? Mm. It's interesting to think about this idea of a contextless place because it, it frames up church as something that kind of happens to people. Um, yeah. Obviously, there's the people putting it on, if you like, putting on yeah. the event, uh, and they're a part of it. But for for most people attending a church service, church, yeah. and, and this is, again, like many things, not necessarily just a mega church thing, but there is a particular form of it in the mega church where... Church is something that happens to people, and it doesn't matter who's there, really. Yep. Um, like you say, what their lives entail or what their stories are, um, that same thing is going to happen to them, regardless, regardless of their cultural context, regardless yep. of 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 what's going on in the world. Yeah, um, I mean the fact that the same service will happen in South Auckland and Ponsonby, or yeah, if you so 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 like multi-campus models, which Hillsong were really, I guess, part of the. Certainly in this part of the world anyway, but I think even more broadly, you know, part of the um, the impetus behind the kind of multi-campus model of church. Mm-hmm. And and often, not always, but in, in many of these multi-campus churches, the exact same service is being rolled out in, in multiple spaces. The same sermon is being broadcast, perhaps even by satellite yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, maybe the same song list is being sung in each place. Uh, sometimes yeah. the worship itself will be, be is being streamed in each place. Um, and so you have sometimes multiple campuses around a city, which fails to take into account the different kind of contexts in that city and the different kind of spaces and, and, and people that live within them, um, let alone the lives of the individuals themselves in that space, um, just at a broad geographical kind of cultural level. Uh, then you might have them across a, a country, which is even more so. And then you might have some churches where there's multi-campus around the world, and so you've got the same thing Songless. essentially being rolled out and broadcast whether you're in in New Zealand, Australia, I don't know, Africa, <laughs> America, uh, yeah. as if all of those places are, the, are are dealing with the same things or that people see the world the same way. Um, and and so in that sense then you you've got something that's that's similar in some ways to a to a a, a global brand or a national brand or a, or even a local brand in your city that has to be consistent uh, that mm. that is the same everywhere it goes. Um, and you know, I sat in a I sat in a meeting in which those you know those multiple campuses were likened to McDonald's. That whenever you go to a McDonald's, you know exactly what you're going to get. You know what the color scheme is going to be. You know exactly what the menu is, and it's reliable, and you can trust it. And that's what church should be like too in mm. its different campuses. Um, and if you eat enough, it'll eventually kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Was that part of it as well? Or that I don't, they didn't follow through with that bit particularly. Oh. Um, so yeah, so so it's a it's a feature in some respects of kind of colonization of globalization, um, mm. but but even just at a very rudimentary level, kind of as a, just as a brand that is being established and has to be consistent in order to maintain that brand because that brand is connected to reputation, which is connected to growth, which is connected yep. to influence. You know, all, all of these things tie into the same story. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and look, obviously, of course, within the lives of these churches, we understand that that. The services aren't the only thing. There's there's small groups and mm, there's mm. there's all this all this stuff that happens um, in and around it. And and look, th- you can have incredible experiences with 
you know, beautiful small groups of people and genuine people and like all this um, beautiful experiences of, of what community, community and communal life look like. Um, but the, the, the precipice, the, the main thing, the shaping story of the church is still what happens on a Sunday service. Mm. Like you wouldn't be allowed to just go to your small group and not the church. That would not, not the Sunday service. That would not be encouraged. Like, so we're not saying there's nothing outside of that in these churches, but we are saying that the form that this takes and the fact that it cannot stop and the fact that it requires, I mean, this is even without talking about the resources. I'm just going like, mm. I remember someone sharing a story with me about going to a church and it was just, it was amazing. It was just so wonderful for 500 meters down the road. Every 10 meters, there's someone shaking my hand and welcoming us and cheering us on as we walked into church. It was just, it was just wonderful. And I'm just going like, what good could you do in the world with <laughs> that resource that isn't making Christians feel jolly? Like, that, like there's got to be something we could be better. We can be doing with our time, <laughs> let alone what the experience of those people are that just <laughs> to stand out in the rain, cheering people for coming in. Like, of course, that feels good, but like. That's well, not they're a, probably interns that are paying thousands of dollars for the privilege of standing there true. on that footpath. Oh, on a fast track to ministry. Yeah. Or even just thinking about how um, the, like one of the phrases that you often hear used is that the Sunday service is the shop window. Have oh, you ever yes. heard that one? Oh, oh sure have. Oh. <laughs> I mean, even so if the, the chef's out the back. Oh, and then, <laughs> yeah, and then, on then, a then there's the restaurant edge. analogy. So there's the shop window one, oh, yeah, which is that Sunday service is the shop window, um, which. Look, a truly terrible analogy, but one that's used a lot. Um, and so essentially that's got to be your best foot forward, the shop window, because that's where people are going to first come in. Mm. Um, so they've got to have an amazing experience. And then the restaurant analogy, which I first heard um, actually from a guy, T.D. Jakes from the U.S., um, and I've heard it a lot since then. I don't know if he was the originator of it. Hard to know with oh, many of these highly analogies. Highly likely not because no. those guys steal stories of anyone they yep. can and entire sermons too. <laughs> but essentially it was like churches, like a restaurant, a lovely restaurant that you go to and the people that come in get to sit down and have a lovely dinner. Um, but what they don't realize is that there's a whole lot of people out in the kitchen fighting and swearing at each other and 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 sweating and exhausted uh, trying to... And, and giving yeah. cash payments with uh, with no penalty rates. And then um, uh, coming out and then politely serving dinner to these people and then walking back out and swearing at somebody else and and, and, and fighting with someone else and um, stressed and exhausted and and spending every last bit of energy. And then the and then sometimes, you know, and sort of said in a almost mocking tone or a sneering tone, someone who loves coming to the restaurant decides to get a job there because they love it so much. And then they end up in the back kitchen and they're shocked by what's going on out there. But what did they expect? You know, they have to roll their sleeves up and, and get into the muck because that's what it takes to make that restaurant so good, you know. Yeah. And that's that was the analogy for church. And that's yeah. it's just a, a deeply flawed model yeah. way of way of thinking about. It's certainly very different from from what we talked about last time, which is Paul's metaphor in the New Testament of a body of yeah. parts that serve one another. Yeah. And and parts that are seen and parts that mm. are honored and parts that are cared for and parts yes. that it matters whether they're there or not, and mm. it matters what their experience, what their experience is. That mm. you know, effectively, there should there should be no there should be no body. And I guess that's part of the problem with this whole thing, right? Is that ministers take this place themselves and say, 
my experience of this doesn't matter. I will run myself into the ground Mm. for this thing. And therefore I can ask other people to do the Mm. same thing. And I think that that in itself is really problematic because they are part of the body too and need to be submitted to the body and cared for the cared for by the body. Um, but in ways where their selves and their personhood is being seen. Um, that, yeah, that every person, that their experience of it matters because church isn't something that happens to you. Mm. It's It's something that you are a part of and therefore it should be incredibly flexible to accommodate the lives that are coming into that place. You know, like in the early church, there were slaves and masters worshipping together, which is extraordinary. But the idea that the stories of the slaves wouldn't have shaped and affected how the masters lived their lives, like, is nonsensical. Like, part of what grew Christianity was the capacity for compassion and empathy and understanding people from different social statuses than your own. And then suddenly being able to see what's wrong with those social statuses and the way in the social hierarchies that are at play. So surely our job isn't to <laughs> reinforce them by creating a new slave class. Yeah. One of the, the fears of, you know, one of the, the reasons the Roman empire was so hostile towards Christianity there are a few reasons, but one of them was because um, the, the the church in its early years was was devoted to the the breaking apart of status systems, the sharing of mm. the table with one another, regardless of class or race or gender. Um, and and for the Roman Empire, this was deeply threatening to their way of life because their way of life was dependent upon those power systems being upheld, mm. and. Um, and so there's something of a, of a disruptive nature to the culture of the, the early church, to power dynamics and structures and status and hierarchy that would seek to, to elevate some over others. Mm. Um, and by the including of the stories of those from the underside of power, and not just the including but even the prioritizing of the stories of those from yeah. the underside of power, which we see happen within, <clears throat> within the early years of the faith tradition, um, this ultimately subverts and undermines those very power structures that have caused such suffering. And the great tragedy of, of what happens when churches um, instead become... We re- fixed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lucky, lucky we sorted all of that out. Um, when the church instead becomes the, the cultivators of and reinforces of um, systems of power and status mm. uh, that diminish the voices of, of those within it. Um, mm. You know, it's 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 deeply antithetical to mm. to what it is that that Christian faith is intended to be about. I think. Yeah, which, which ties into, you know, church being something that happens to you, and kind of church as a brand mm. that sometimes abuse is hidden because it will be bad for the brand. Yeah. Sometimes flaws are hidden because it will be bad for the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, because if church is a brand and not an assembly of bodies and lives and emotional emotional nervous systems and stories that all carry one another, then it makes sense to throw a few bodies 
and lives and emotional systems and stories under the bus. It makes sense to minimize someone's mental health issues mm. if it doesn't fit with the story because the brand must be protected at all costs. It makes sense to sign an NDA yeah, rather than to deal with, acknowledge yeah, and, and actually confront abuse when it happens within a community, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, you can see that the, the fear, because the brand is connected to the growth. <laughs> the, the growth is built in many respects on the power of the brand. So something like a, a, a Hillsong, for example, without wanting to pick on them too much, because uh, there are many good people within those spaces. Mm, of course there are. Um, many, many. But but you can see that what's happening now, which is in some sense the, da- the brand has been damaged and so now ch- churches, especially in the US, but but around the place that were attached to that brand are now jettisoning that brand uh, yeah. and trying to get as far away from it as they can because the brand is no longer advantageous, mm. um, which is why a church like Hillsong would have been trying to hide as many things as possible for as long as they could because that's what happens when the brand gets damaged, you know. And so, um, unfortunately, yeah, the priority of the ba- the brand over the over the lives and stories of the people mm. within these communities. Mm. Um, that becomes a really troubling thing. Yeah. And perhaps that's, <laughs> wow, is that a dark place to end a conversation? Give us something. Yeah. I've listened back to the, our couple of conversations so far, Shane, and you end with a powerful, empathetic, beautiful statement. So I'm out. I'm out of. I'm out. I, I used my empathy on the on the on the first two. Oh, I can't believe it. Uh, well, um, I think I think perhaps what to say here is that although we are sitting kind of deep in the mire, so to speak, you know, we are allowing ourselves to to sit with the problem, mm. and I and I think the awareness of that is is the, the only possible starting point in this conversation is is a real awareness of the problem, right? And and at this point in time as well, we're still sitting with the fact that the harm that has been caused mm. in both of these systems still has not been acknowledged. Yes, and that the brand is still being protected. Yes, and that is and that is not okay. Mm-hmm. Even even though there's process going along in both of these things, there is enough. There is enough knowledge inside these institutions for the humans inside the institutions to say we don't need to wait a report matters from an independent inquiry, we don't need to wait for the full report to come out before we say some things are wrong and some people have been harmed and that mm-hmm. is not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the place we sit in right now where we're kind of paused with, with some of these stories. And, but, the, but the lives of the people who have suffered under them, they're, they're not paused. Mm. The harm is still being perpetuated by the fact that it's not being named and acknowledged, mm, yeah. and that's not okay. Yeah, that's right. Maybe I did have like that three drops of empathy left. You did. Look at that. Uh, and you're absolutely right. Hey, thanks, Shane. Um, Thank you. We've got more to talk about. So uh, Unfortunately so. So we're going to be back again next time with some more conversation, um, which I – Sort of, I say look forward to. I look forward to with with, with mixed feelings because um, these conversations on one level aren't enjoyable and on another level are so deeply necessary. And and I'm hopeful about them, even yeah. as I'm even as even as I'm finding them, them difficult to have. Mm. I'm hopeful about where they might lead. 
if not for every institution, at least for many people within them or who have been discarded by them. Yep. Yeah. So there you have it. That's part three of this conversation uh, about uh, all things megachurch at the moment between Shane and I, and uh, we're going to be back again with another conversation. Uh, As as you know, you can get in touch with us at feedback at intheshift.com if you want to share anything, say anything, ask anything. Uh, Thanks as always to Reese Michelle for his skill, time, and energy into making this recording sound good in your ears. Until next time.